0: All right, good morning. Uh, Let's flip to Acts chapter 15 together. We're going to cover, for the most part, this whole chapter. So I'm just going to read verse 11, and then we'll read it as we go. So I'll read Acts 15 verse 11 to start. I'll be reading out of the ESV. Acts 15 verse 11 says this. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Let's pray one more time. Jesus, thank you for your word, for your grace. We thank you for this chapter, Lord. Um, Lord, I admit I'm uh, feeling excited. I kind of feel like a fire hose right now. If I just pray for supernatural uh, mouths to receive your word and all that's gonna come. and um, Would it just lead us to worship you together? It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I grew up in a Christian home. I went to a Christian school my whole life through college. Um, and, you know, growing up, I learned what, what, you know, good Christians were supposed to do, what uh, we weren't supposed to do. I learned all the Bible stories. I learned how to, like, read the story and learn, okay, this is what you're supposed to do, this is what you're not supposed to do. I went to a Christian college here in town, learned more about the Bible, more about what I was supposed to do and what I was not supposed to do. And uh, I'll be honest, I hated it. I hated it. I hated reading the Bible. Um, Imagine spending time with somebody, and every time you hung out with them, they said, by the way, uh, you need to stop doing this, and uh, this is what you need to be doing, just every time. That's what my relationship with God and his word was like. Every time I opened this page, I just felt like, okay, man, I'm blowing it over here, and I got to try hard over here. That's, I mean, literally, my entire life, that's what it felt like. That was the lens through which I viewed Jesus and his word. And it's not a surprise that 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 was frustrating, right? It's not a surprise I didn't want to read the Bible. I wasn't excited to get in the word of God because it was just about me and how I was blowing it or uh, how I could not be blowing it. And, And here's the other thing. There were good days right like we've all had good days where you're like man i got up early i read my bible i like didn't give to that temptation i'm killing it god is so stoked with me and then the next day i would blow it and i would be spiritually depressed and i was like all day long just got so bummed with me i'm so bummed with myself and it was this endless cycle of work hard and then fail and then try to get back up and then fail and it was a miserable experience uh then seven years ago As a church, we went through the book of Galatians. If you were here, you remember that. Um, And the Lord used this book to like ridiculously wreck my life. Um, This is what I heard God saying. You think you and your good deeds are enough to make you righteous before me? Like, think again, I'm holy. I am perfect. No amount of your good deeds are going to make you holy and perfect. And I was, I was finally broken in like a different way. My eyes weren't actually on me. They were on a holy, glorious God. And I realized, wow, I'm more desperate than I ever thought I was. There is no hope for me to pull this thing off. And it was in that moment of brokenness that the glory of the cross shined through to me only jesus is enough only jesus is good enough only jesus is righteous and on the cross he took my unrighteousness forgave me of my sin and then gave me his righteousness and what i realized was this whole thing the bible and church is actually about jesus and what he has done for me It was not about me and me trying to like get my act together and then fail and then keep going and then i was shown a a verse in john chapter 5 where jesus was talking to the pharisees and he's like listen you guys you guys are all about the word of god but you don't realize that the word of god is all about me and i realized that jesus was on so to speak every page of the bible the cross was on every page of the Bible. And so, so here's how it would go. I would open up to Genesis and I would read something and I would feel bad about myself and then I would try harder. Jesus was like, no, listen, look for me in Genesis. Look for me, because when you read it, you will realize you don't measure up, but then remember the cross and how I fulfilled Genesis. And then when you come to me, you can be holy and righteous as well. And so I realized, I learned that on every page of the Bible, there's not just, hey, get your act together. There's good news of Jesus and what he has done. And, and here's the thing. I, I didn't realize that the default mode of my heart was just legalism and works righteousness. And I got to pull this thing off. And Paul says, no, listen, the most important thing the, of first importance in the Christian life is the gospel. What Jesus has done for you. And he even says in 1 Corinthians, you need to be reminded of it every single day. Because we can think, okay, yeah, yeah, Jesus, the cross, I'm in the club now, but now I got to get my act together. And Paul's like, listen, you need to remember every day. What, so this is about Jesus and what he has done. When you wake up in the morning and open your Bible, it's about Jesus and what he has done. When you blow it halfway through the day, remember Jesus and what he has done. When you go to bed at night, don't feel good because you did a good job or bad because you did a bad job. Remember Jesus and what jesus has done that's the gospel that we need to be reminded of every single day which brings us to this chapter of acts uh it's been said this is the most important chapter in the new testament uh it's been said that uh this is the most important event in the history of the church besides the death and resurrection of jesus like the uh, significance of this council we're going to read about cannot be overstated so um, like I said, I'm feeling like a fire hose If I, I decided not to do points Cause there would be like 27 So, uh, we're just gonna read verses And then look at the glory of Jesus together You guys ready? So here we go Um, how we're gonna break this up Is kind of three sections If you, if you think kind of like linearly Uh, verses 1 to 5 is the setting Verses 6 to 21 is the council And then verses 22 to 35 is like the response Um, So let's read verses one to five together. Let's get the setting of what is going on. Acts 15, verse one. But some men, and I'm sorry, I'm gonna pause right here. What's what's happening? Why does it start with but? Because Paul and Barnabas just finished their missionary trip and a bunch of people are getting saved. But remember who was getting saved. It wasn't Jews. It was Gentiles. And so this is starting to cause some friction. So this this is the context of what's going on at the beginning of this chapter. But... Some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, And brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Okay, so in verse 1 and verse 5, we're introduced to this group Uh, It's referred to different names in the New Testament. The Judaizers is a name for them, the circumcision party is a name, and then the Pharisees, it says in verse 5. And this was the group, these five verses, this was the group that caused Paul to write the entire book of Galatians. If you looked at a map where his first missionary journey was, that's the area of Galatia. And it was to these new Christians that they were being told, listen, yeah, 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 Jesus, but listen, you have to, be circumcised to fully, truly be saved. And so the entire book of Galatians is written to, and this is the context of the book of Galatians. And this group, the Judaizers, was essentially saying this Listen, the good news is that you Gentiles are loved by God. And he sent his son to die for your sins. And you can be forgiven of your sins if you just do these things. Did you hear that? Does it sound a little off? Right? Like, you can be saved if you believe in Jesus and then just do these things or just do this one thing, just one little thing, which to a guy is not a little thing, but you, you understand. Just this one little thing. Now, Paul doesn't agree with this group and what is being taught. In verse two, it says Paul disagrees with them, debates much with them. And if you look to the book of Galatians, we can get a little more like meat. What were, what were they debating specifically I'm going to read just three verses just here. This is what the debate would have sounded like. This is what Paul would have been saying to these people. He said this in Galatians 2.16. A person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus. In Galatians 3, he said, all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. In Galatians 3, again, he says, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. And what Paul is essentially saying to this group is, you're getting salvation wrong, you're getting the gospel wrong, and you are even reading the Old Testament wrong, which is a pretty significant accusation to a group of Jews. And so they're debating, and the church in Antioch is like, wow, okay, this is important, we're not sure what to do, let's go ask the apostles in Jerusalem. So they, they tell Paul and Barnabas, along with some of the church, hey, go ask Peter and the guys, the apostles, how do we think about this? Because we have all these new Christians. We, we sent you out on a mission trip. All these churches were planted, and we're not sure like what to do here. So verses 6 to 21 is the council. Paul and Barnabas go there, and they have this council. And I'm going to break for our minds, this council has two basic sections to it. Uh, verses 6 to 11 is Peter's part of the council, and he lays out all the important theology. And then verses 12 to 21 James, the brother of Jesus, speaks and he essentially confirms what Peter says and then he, he kind of like gives the final stamp of approval because we find out uh, James is actually like the lead pastor in Jerusalem at that time. So the first part of the council, verses 6 to 11, this is Peter speaking. Uh, I'm going to read verses 6, 7, and 8 to start. Verse 6 says this, The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you, that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. Okay, so there's, I forget there's so many points, four or five major points that Peter is gonna address. So, so here's the first major point Peter is making is this. God saved and gave his spirit to the Gentiles. So we're having this debate, right? Like what's right? What's going on? What should the Gentiles do? What should the Gentiles not do? And the first thing Peter says is we need to recognize this isn't like on us. God is up to something. God is doing something here. This isn't like a church decision. God is at work. And we are trying to just recognize what is it God is already doing. Which, side note, that's a really helpful way to make decisions in life. Uh, Listen, you could debate your life choices, pros and cons forever, right? Uh, You can go on and on and on. But listen to Peter's wisdom. What's God doing? Is God in this? Where can we clearly see God already moving? Should I date or marry this person? Well, just ask, is God in this? Is God moving here or is he not? Should I move to this city? Ask, is God in this? Or am I just doing what I want to do? Uh, Should I move jobs? Ask, is God in this? Or am I just frustrated because this is difficult? And so Peter's giving us a good paradigm when we're learning to, to, to figure out pros and cons. Look what God's already doing. Look how God's already at work. So should the Gentiles be circumcised? Peter starts by saying, hey, God saved them before they were circumcised. And God poured out his spirit on them before they were circumcised. And he's implying it would seem that the Spirit is saying you are saved not because what you have done, but simply by the grace of God. And Paul later confirms, he, he writes a similar argument in Galatians when he says this in Galatians 3. I'll read it for us. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So here's the argument number one. God is saving people and pouring out his spirit not because they're doing something good, not because they're obeying the law of Moses. He's simply saving people by faith. That's the first point Peter makes. Uh, then he goes on to make two more significant points in verse nine. So let's read verse nine together. It says this. He's talking about God. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. So major point number two is this. God made no distinction between Jew and Gentile when he saved the Gentiles. Now, this is important. He isn't saying there's no such thing as a Jew or Gentile. What he's saying is in terms of salvation, in terms of justification, in terms of receiving the Holy Spirit, God doesn't look around to say, who's a Jew, who's a Gentile? Okay, I'll save them and I won't save them. In terms of salvation, in terms of pouring out his spirit, he does not make a distinction based on someone's race or nationality. Uh, this is what Paul means in Galatians 3.28 where he says this, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is uh, another really important side note this verse is often used to argue there's no such thing as male and female because in christ jesus we're all one and it maybe it's laughable but that's a real thing in our culture and it's a real thing taught in theology classes there's no distinction but that's a, that's misrepresenting what paul's argument is what he's saying is in terms of salvation god doesn't make a distinction are you a male okay you're saved Are you female sorry you don't get to be saved who gets my holy spirit are you a male oh no what he's saying is god does not make distinctions in salvation and pouring out his spirit based on race based on your economic status based on your jew or greek god by grace saves everyone and that's really really important and and it's also easy to miss how profound this verse is because here's here's the thing if you look at a say like a map of all the major world religions Um, and you were to look like geographically, where do they tend to be? You will see that every major world religion is like pretty localized to a a area or a culture for the most part. Um, And wherever it's not, those people are holding on to their previous culture. So if you look at Buddhism, uh, it's gonna be primarily East or Southeast Asia. That's where Buddhism is. If you look at Islam, it's primarily the Middle East or Southeast Asia. If you look at Hinduism, it's primarily Southeast Asia. If you look at Christianity, You got it in North America, South America, Africa, Asia, Europe, and Australia, and honestly, probably Antarctica. And here's the point. Jesus is for every culture and every people. He's the only cross-cultural savior there is. He's the only one who says, are you this ethnicity? Are you from this country? Are you from this background? You are all welcome to come to me as you are. Jesus does not make a distinction based on your economic, socioeconomic class, your gender. And he actually doesn't even ask you to change those things. We learn in Revelation that every tribe and tongue and nation will be worshiping Jesus. That's that's a beautiful thing, and that's unique. Jesus is the only cross-cultural savior. And it's worth saying, um, you know, we're we're here in California, we're here in CARP, we're kind of like, oh yeah, we're past racism, like we're not about that. Um, But here's the thing. Our church should represent the cultures of our area better. It just should. This is not a church for a certain group, a certain socioeconomic status, a certain subculture. This is the body of Christ. And we should represent the church in Carpinteria, the church in Santa Barbara, Ventura, wherever we're from. And we can look around and notice, hey, there's a major people group missing from our culture that's not here. And, and it's just worth saying Jesus is for them. And the church should represent every culture that it's in. And in heaven, we're together worshiping Jesus. And I think we we should grow in that. We should grow together worshiping Jesus with all of our cultures. Um, Now, he makes a second point in verse nine, major point number three. And what he says is this, the way to be cleansed is through faith. I'm just gonna read verse nine because I've just said a lot of things. God makes no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith, okay? In the Old Testament, there is a huge emphasis on being clean, being cleansed. Uh, Many of the laws and regulations were to make someone ceremonially clean, to be able to participate in worship. Uh, The college group, we went through the book of Leviticus a couple years ago, and um, the word clean and unclean, in the book of Leviticus alone is used 221 times. That's like every other verse. The word clean is used 221 times. But here's the thing. The Jews took this concept further than God intended. They believed that if they obeyed these laws, they could cleanse themselves spiritually. And they even added all these extra ways to be made clean that God never even included. This is why they were always upset with Jesus. Why are you breaking all of our rules about being clean? And it's really easy to kind of like roll our eyes at the Jews because we're so culturally removed, right? Like, yeah, they're crazy about being clean, kosher, this, that. But here's the thing we do the same thing. We think that if we do the right spiritual practices, we can clean ourselves. The more I come to church, I feel clean. The more I read my Bible, I feel clean. I take communion, oh, I'm clean. I get prayer, I'm clean. I share my money, I'm clean. I tell someone about Jesus, I just feel really clean. I'm killing it. Listen, this is not true. It wasn't true in the Old Testament, it's not true now. The only thing that makes someone clean is the blood of Jesus. That is it. That is the only hope for humanity, the blood of Jesus. Because we know God is too holy for us to clean ourselves. And even if God gives you a scrub and says, hey, scrub yourself, we're gonna mess it up. I think of like a little kid who's playing outside in the mud and he's like, oh man, my parents are gonna be so mad. And so this little three-year-old's like, let me get myself clean. Like he's probably just gonna make a bigger mess, right? You don't trust a three-year-old to clean himself. He needs someone else to be clean. It's the same way with God. We cannot clean ourselves up spiritually. Paul says this in Galatians 3, 5 through 6. Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law? Is that how God does it? Or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham, this is profound. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteous. You know what this verse is showing us? How did Abraham get clean? Was it through circumcision? Well, no, that didn't even exist yet. Is it through obeying the law? Moses hadn't come yet. How did Abraham get clean before God? He believed God and it was counted to him, gifted him as righteousness. Abraham wasn't perfect. We know that. He did some interesting, uh, debatable, sinful things, but his faith in God made him clean. And Abraham, the New Testament shows us, is a model for how it always has worked with God. People cannot clean themselves. It is only by faith believing in God that people are cleaned and made whole. And so you ask, well, what about all the rules in the Old Testament about being clean? Which gets us to the next verse that Peter talks about in verse 10. He says this, now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples? This is so good. That neither you nor our fathers were able to bear you hear what he just said he's like okay jews you're pushing so hard for the gentiles to keep the old covenant commands you are the biggest group of hypocrites there are because he's saying have you read the old testament is there a single faithful man in the old testament who obeyed all the laws we're like the worst group in the old testament we got all these laws and we disobeyed continually And Peter's saying, are you really asking as a Jew the Gentiles to do what we've never been able to do? And then, you know, someone would say, well, listen, Peter, we're not saying they have to obey all the laws, just circumcision. That's the only one, just some of the law. And we know Paul says of this exact idea later in Galatians, and he for sure would have said it in this debate, says this. I think we have it up here Galatians 3.10 now, maybe not. Okay, cool. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Peter's saying, listen, if you want to live by the law, then you've got to do it perfectly. You can't just pick and choose what parts, I'm going to obey God over here, but not over here. He's saying if you want to rely on circumcision, you have to rely on the whole thing. And, and listen, if, if we're relying on even part of it, we're all doomed because no one can obey all the law. It, no one has ever obeyed all the law except for Jesus, which then leads us to his last point in verse 11. He says this, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will." And his point here is this, we, everyone, Jew or Gentile, are saved by grace. That's what the Old Testament and Old Covenant was actually all about. Do you know that? Did you know that it was always grace in the Old Testament? That's what all the sacrifices were about. It was a pointer to our failure to meet the commands of God, our need for a substitute to take our sin, for us to be forgiven. And this is what Jesus came to do, to fulfill the law, to fulfill all the Old Testament, all of its signs and its symbols. And yet the Jews missed this big picture, that it's all about grace. Listen, this is so profound. They turned what was a gift from God, God's word and his law, into religion. They took a gift and turned it into religion. If you obey the rules, then you'll be forgiven. They didn't see that the rules and the law was a pointer to the grace of God. If you look at um, the Old Testament, you look where Moses and the Exodus and the giving of the law, there's a pattern there. God shows up to a people enslaved and rescues them by grace. They didn't earn it. They They didn't even have the law. He rescues them brings them to himself. And then as he's with them, he's like, hey, now we're gonna like live together. And and this is how we can do it. And it's gonna be beautiful. I want you, because I've already rescued you and saved you by grace, I want you to learn what it's like to walk with me. This is my gift to you towards life. And what we tend to do is take a gift from God and we turn it into this thing it was never meant to be, this legalistic religion, like, okay, I gotta do this, and if I don't do this, I won't have the grace of God, and I gotta keep going. Or maybe I got in by the grace of God, but now I gotta keep myself obeying so that I can keep getting the grace of God. And Peter is showing us that the good news of Jesus confronts our religion. Because, listen, we are the same. People have always been the same. We have always, legalism is the default mode of our heart. I'm doing a good job, so I feel right with God. I'm doing a bad job, so I'm not right with God. And, and the gospel of Jesus says, no one is good. The only way to be right with God is through grace. And here's, a, here's an interesting thing about legalism, where we just obey all the rules and then we think we're right with God. It has a really small view of what Jesus did on the cross it's really easy to think, yeah, Jesus, thanks for getting the ball rolling, but I am the one who's gonna finish it. Like, I'll save myself. It's easy to think Jesus thanks for, yeah, that like gift you gave me, but like, I got it from here. That's a really small view of the cross. And what we often forget about, I think we, we boil salvation down to, Jesus forgave my sins, simple transaction, I go to heaven. We forget that Jesus doesn't just remove our sins. Like, he fulfilled the law on our behalf part of salvation part of your relationship with jesus part of your union with jesus is you gain the righteousness of jesus as if you fulfilled every commandment in this book and you are gifted the righteousness of jesus when god looks at you he's not like okay i'll let you in he sees the righteousness of jesus over you and another beautiful piece of salvation is actually freedom from the weight of the law that we could never obey. Man, I used to live under weight, and it was real weight. I would read, do this, don't do this, and it was just weight. And every time I came to church or I read my Bible, it was just weight upon weight upon weight. And Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary, I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, because I'm the only one strong enough to carry the weight I'll take it off of your shoulders, and I will give you myself, and I will carry you. And that is a light burden. The cross does not just forgive us of our sins, it gives us the righteousness of Jesus and the freedom from the weight of the law. Now, um, I'm gonna mention this again, but here's what we tend to do in the church. We tend to wanna add weight back to our path. We tend to pick a couple rules um, maybe they're in the Bible, maybe there are preferences. And we tend to add weight. Do you know what, if I don't do this, I'm good with God. If I, if I do this, oh man, I'm not right with God. And do you know what, I do that for other people too. I don't like alcohol. And so I think that if someone drinks, do you know what, I don't think they're right with God. I'm gonna add some weight to the pack that's not in the word of God. I don't like this, I don't like that. That is the definition of legalism. Adding something to salvation that is different than what Jesus has already done. We add weight to the pack, and I'll just say it now, if that's your attitude, and here's the fear. Well, if we don't add stuff to the packs, people are just gonna run wild, and they're just gonna rebel, and they're just gonna do stuff. If that's what you think, that's a wrong understanding of the grace of God, because we know the grace of God changes a person. It saves them from the inside out. It's not, don't do this, then you're in, the grace of God says, I've been rescued by Jesus. I have a new heart. I'm filled with the spirit. This book is beautiful, and I want to run after God. And, and how silly to think, no, people also need some of my preferences to make sure they're okay. Like, that doesn't change people's hearts. Parents, we know that doesn't change your kids. It, it actually is just weight that makes kids, like, just want to get out. Like, I'm going to prove them wrong. I don't like this weight. It, when we add human law to salvation, it, the response is always wrong. And this is what Peter and Paul and the apostles are fighting for. Do not add something extra to salvation. Salvation is enough. A new heart that loves Jesus is enough. If you get a new heart, you will bear fruit. And so Peter makes his points and then we get to verse 12 and James speaks up and he essentially confirms it, but we'll just, We'll read straight from 12 to 21 what James says. And all these, at all these, this, I wrote something wrong, I'll start, I'll read my Bible. And all the assembly fell silent. And they, which, I love that. Because I kind of feel that like in our, the the gospel, you're just kind of like, whoa. And all the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they'd finished speaking, James replied, "'Brothers, listen to me.'" Simon, which is Peter, I don't know why you just called him Simon. "'Simon has related how God first visited the Gentiles "'to take from them a people for his name. "'And with this, the words of the prophet agree, "'just as it is written.'" And he's gonna quote loosely from Amos. "'After this, I will return "'and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen.'" I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name says the Lord who makes these things known from of old. Therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols from sexual immorality from what has been strangled and from blood and For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. What James is essentially saying is like, yeah, Peter got it right. I just want to add a couple of things. He's saying, listen, God has always had this plan of including the Gentiles. And he quotes Amos because Amos talks about that the tent of David fell. They didn't complete what they were supposed to, they fell, they were in ruins. But God says, I'll rebuild the ruins. And as I rebuild the people of God, I'm gonna include the nations in that. The Gentiles will be built in to the people of God, those who are called by my name. And, and so James is pointing out, this was always the plan. Gentiles were always supposed to be included. And here's, here's what the Jews thought. They took their chosenness and use it as a means to exclude. They thought they were chosen because for some reason they were better. But but God explicitly says, I chose you because you are the least of all the nations. And through you as my chosen instrument, I'm gonna bless and rescue the world. That's always been God's plan. He chooses and saves the weakest, most sinful as a point. Because it's about me, God saying, and what I do, I rescue. So I'm gonna take this little group of people and I'm gonna show and I'm gonna work through them my plan to save the world. That was always the plan. But the Jews were like, oh, we're chosen because we're awesome. We're chosen because we're special. And so they just kind of like circled up and, and excluded everyone. And God had to break them down and be like, okay, I'll do it myself. I will include the Gentiles. And we're the same way, right? Different cultures make us, uncomfortable Uh, sometimes things that aren't wrong seem wrong just because they're different but but god and, and and james is pointing out god has always wanted to bring people in and you know what's crazy uh it's not included here but peter totally blew it later uh in galatians 2 i won't read it all but peter knew all this stuff but peter shows us that though we may have the right theology that jesus loves all people and came and it's by grace we may still be led astray in how we live and in our attitudes. If you remember the story, Peter knew all this and then the, the group of the Jews came down and Peter felt pressure and he stopped eating and doing community with the Gentiles out of re- this fear of people and what they would think. And, and what Paul says is he was living out of step with the gospel. And, and so Peter go, or I mean, Paul goes and confronts him to his face like, bro, you know, you know. You know the truth and you are not living in step with the gospel. You can't pick the right certain people to be around. The gospel is about including everybody. Everyone is welcome in. And so the council makes a decision and they write it in a letter. They send it back to the church in Antioch and to all the Gentile churches. And so we're going to read together the letter and, and what they said. There's not too much new, but there'll be a couple important things to notice. So let's read verses 22 to 23. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas leading men among the brothers with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders to the brothers who are the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Sicilia, greetings. So real quick, um, this chapter is significant not because it only not only because it clarifies the gospel, but this this chapter is a profound model for uh significant decisions in like church history. This how this happened uh led uh the church throughout these two thousand years to make really important decisions. Um, you know, we're like twenty first century we just assume yeah this is just what's right and wrong and this is the Bible, but the church had to discern like what books of the Bible should be in the Bible and what books shouldn't be. And how is Jesus fully man and fully God? Or how is God three persons in one? And so there were these things called councils throughout church history where they just did this. They got all the leaders together. They looked to scripture. They sought wisdom. They debated. They sought the Holy Spirit. And then they they began to make significant decisions that we trust. The Holy Spirit really led them too and you know the church kind of drifts and then like reforms happen but this is the model that our that our family think about that our family has used to determine what is right and wrong now let's read the content of the letter together we're going to read verses 24 to 29 says this this is the letter since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds although we gave them no instructions It has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. That you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, from blood, from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. Now, uh, the council, just to sum it up, they decided, you know what, they don't need to be circumcised. Um, They don't need to uh, adhere to old covenant laws. But you may wonder, so what is this little list here at the end, right? Like, no food sacrificed to idols, no strangled blood sexual morality and and it's really easy to go right back into like legalism and think so this is the new law like these are the things listen you don't if if it's blood of jesus yeah yeah yeah, but like also these don't if you if you don't do these you're not saved but that's not what's going on here what's going on here is gospel love and consideration because listen this little list is what would be specifically really offensive to a jew if you're a gentile You're like, I've been strangling animals and sleeping around my whole life, like whatever. But if you were a Jew, you didn't just like eat raw meat. You didn't just sleep around. Like that culturally even was like, whoa. And so what the church was doing to the Gentiles is like, you're saved by the blood of Jesus, but please be considerate of your brothers. Please think like more than just your freedom in Christ and think about what it would be like to be a Jewish believer and see you just scarfing down some steak right like be considerate be thoughtful the gospel changes our attitude toward one another the gospel saves us by grace but it then teaches us to love our brothers and sisters in christ and so i brought up alcohol earlier listen it's in the bible you can drink it but be considerate it is not in step with the gospel to just be drinking like, look, I'm free. You, you don't think so? Whatever, I'm free in Christ. That's, that's not the attitude we learn that the gospel shapes us to have. That's, that's not the right way to think about it. And whatever it may be, whatever it may be, how do you dress or what music do you listen to or what movies do you see? We're learning, be considerate of your brothers and sisters in Christ. That is what this council is saying. Listen, you're free from the law. Jesus fulfilled it all. But be considerate of your brothers sisters and so then let's read the last five verses together the response of the church in Antioch so when they were sent off they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together they delivered the letter and when they had read it they rejoiced because of its encouragement and Judas and Silas who were themselves prophets encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words after they had spent some time they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. The The point here is that the gospel led to joy. It led to encouragement and strength and joy. It is not encourage. We don't get encouragement because of how good we are, what a great job we've done, but Jesus. We don't get strength because of, who we are and how God naturally made us, but what Jesus has done. The gospel, as we see it, bear fruit. They rejoiced because of its encouragement. And so that is the proper response this morning. We are gonna rejoice because of the good news of Jesus. We're gonna take communion, not to cleanse ourselves, but to remember what Jesus has already done. The blood of Jesus has, if you trust in Jesus, you are already cleansed from every sin, from every failure. If you feel like an outsider today, if you're like, man, I don't belong here, listen, be encouraged that Jesus came for people just like you. He came for outsiders, to show them his radical love and mercy. And Jesus has already done the heavy lifting. You are called to respond by trusting in him. Repentance is like, you know what? I'm not going my way anymore. I'm gonna cling to Jesus who will carry me whose righteousness is enough for me. And every day, church, as we wake up in the morning, remember the gospel. Read this book as like, where is Jesus on this page? What has Jesus done for me? And then how can I just live out of what he has done for me? How can I love my brothers and sisters? So there's a lot of grace for, there's more grace for us, church, than we have sins to bring to the table. So let's rejoice at the feet of Jesus, amen? Jesus, thank you for your grace, for the cross, for every sinner in this room, for every act of rebellion, for every time we've fallen short. Thank you for the grace for people like me who can be really proud because we've done a good job, we've done a better job than those people out there. Thank you that you even have grace for people like me. For the older brother who was bitter that the younger sinner came home. Lord, thank you that the father went out to the older brother and said, come home, come celebrate. Jesus, would we together celebrate what you have done on the cross, that it's your blood alone that makes us clean, that it's by faith alone that we are cleansed. Jesus, would we be shaped by the gospel this morning, every day as we spend time with you? Would you speak louder than the accuser? Lord, when we sin, would we not hear uh, how accused we are, but would we hear the voice of the Spirit saying, come back to Jesus. Turn away from your sin and come back to grace, to the blood, to the only one who is good, the only one whose blood was enough to cover your sin. Jesus, now would we as a church celebrate and rejoice together. I pray specifically um, that we would stay and we would worship we don't like the music, let's just have some grace and let's rejoice in what Jesus has done. If we don't like the songs, but we have some grace and we stay and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We show some consideration for one another as a church. Grace for one another because of what Jesus has done for us.